Yes, hello there and welcome to Join Up Darts. This is an archive show, which means that I'm not here at the moment, but it's, it's all pre-recorded. But it does give you just a glimpse of what's been happening on the iTunes number one business entrepreneur show since we launched. Now, this show is different and you'll hear laughter, tears, shocking stories, real life turmoil, and of course, the kind of success blueprint that will change your life forever. If you want the dream life, then all the answers are here. Now, these are the old episodes, so to get right up to date listening to the latest stuff, then simply search Join Up Dots, click subscribe, and never miss an episode again. And of course, over at joinupdots.com, you can get instant access to our free 12-day podcasting course or loads of amazing free downloads to kickstart your own entrepreneurial journey, all made by my own fair hand. So let's get on with the show. You've got a lot of catching up to do after all. Enjoy. When we're young, we have an amazing, positive outlook about how great life is going to be. But somewhere along the line, we forget to dream and end up settling. Join Up Dots features amazing people who refuse to give up and chose to go after their dreams. This is your blueprint for greatness. So here's your host, live from the back of his garden in the UK, David Ralph. Yes, hello there world and welcome to episode 187 of Join Up Dots. It's the 1st of November, we're into another month, only got a couple of more months till 2014's gone, so hopefully all your dreams and all your goals have been set and achieved by this time, and if they haven't, then what are you doing? Get out there and make things happen. Today's guest is an astonishing lady who delivers positivity and inspiration to the world every day of her life. Born with ocular albinism, a condition that has made her legally blind, she managed to hide the issues with her vision until well into her 20s from her employers, friends and I guess the world. But more amazingly is the fact that she had been legally blind since a child, but it wasn't until she was 17 that she actually realised it fully too. Now, her parents, upon finding out their newborn daughter had been born with a condition, decided that they wouldn't tell her as they believed that it would result in both her and others placing limits on what she could achieve in life. And so she lived with the condition and for over 10 years from finding it out, she graduated and joined an international consultancy firm. But the time came when her eyes deteriorated so much that she could no longer hide it anymore and the time would come to change direction. And with that direction, she set out to change opinions across the world. And I, I love this about her story. But the realisation of what she should do next in her life came on the top of an elephant whilst travelling a thousand miles across the country raising funds for sight savers. She decided that she would create the non-profit organisation Canchi, named after that very same elephant, that aims to change the attitudes and behaviours towards people with disability by working with business leaders, helping them to see these people as assets to be developed. And now as her star continues to shine brighter and brighter, she's highly sought after as an inspirational speaker the world over. So how do you manage from the top of an elephant to see a path that is literally life-changing and more importantly then have the courage to tackle it head on? And where does she feel the most work still needs to be done as the world accepts and embraces disability in its many forms? Well, let's find out as we bring on to the show to start joining up dots for one and only Caroline Casey. How are you, Caroline? Oh, I am good. That was some, some fantastic entrance to me. Thank you very much. You um, deserve it. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm very good. It is a very wet, wet day here in November in Ireland. So I'm cold and I'm thinking about sitting on the back of that elephant in the heat in India. Gosh, I wish I was there again. 
Well, I must admit, I, I don't often have this feeling, but I, I felt like reaching over and giving you a little hug because before we, we sort of really started recording, you said you're sitting in a little room all on your own. And I, I kind of I felt sorry for you. Is that how life's got? Not at all. My gosh, no, no, no. It's the complete opposite. It is because I'm surrounded by fantastic people that the only way to actually have a conversation with somebody is to lock me in a room on my own. No, not at all. I have, I'm one of those very lucky people that everything that we've done in the last 14 years has been because of the people around, around me uh, partnering with us, um, having fun with us, telling us when we can't do something and when we can do something. So, no, I am by no means on my own and nothing I've achieved I've done on my own. It's, it's fascinating. Now, I, normally I sort of meander around, but there's so much I want to talk to you about. I want to sort of dive into it. But one of those phrases you said there, people telling me what I can't do and can do, I would think that is like a red rag to a ball, isn't it, for you, <laughs> that you can't do something. I would have thought Caroline Casey would go, no, if you say I can't do it, I'm going to prove to you that I can. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I used to say something like when somebody said no to me, I would go, well, that translates into bring it on. <laughs> Um, and you're right, there, there's a real thing about my personality and it, it doesn't have anything necessary to do with my vision impairment. It's just that I'm a Casey um, and no is just the challenge to try harder. Um, but you know, it's so interesting. I think as we grow older and as we achieve more and maybe have more success, that we're not maybe as brave as we were when we first started out. And I've been doing this for 14 years now. and. What I recognize about myself, I just, I think it's time to reboot that bravery. Um, you know, I'm 42 years old now. I, I'm going to be 43 very soon. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is good, but now we've got to do better than this. So it's about not being frightened to step out of that comfort zone again and really kind of embrace the, the kind of ridiculous maverick in me so that I can hopefully go further. Ah, oh, you, you, I tell you what, you used a word that is a badge of honour for me, maverick. I, <laughs> I, I went through my corporate life and all the directors and managers used to say, David, you're a maverick. And they used to say it to me like it was a bad thing. And it was, it was them kind of trying to make me conform somehow. But now I've freed myself. I love that word maverick. It's good, isn't it? To be a maverick seems to be a free thinker who runs on their own steam and passions to, to, to drive things forward. Yeah, I mean, I love the word maverick as well, actually. I love the word maverick and I love the word outlier. And another word I love is magnificent. <laughs> and I kind of think, you know, magnificent maverick, because in some ways it's, it's, what, it's what I hope that I will live to be all the way through until I die. And I hope I'll be on the planet for some time yet. But you're right. I think for me, the reason I love that word, it's, it's because it's somebody who does not accept fine is good enough. I hate good enough, you know. Good enough is not good enough. And I think I'm, I'm in a world where, you know, if I was just to accept things as they are, you know, that's not the world I want. And I don't want to be somebody sitting back giving out about things and saying I wish they were different if I wasn't involved in the solution of it. And I think the people who really make stuff happen are the kind of crazy people. And um, I always love that Apple ad, you know, think differently. Mm. You know, it's about the crazy ones. It's one of my favorite, favorite advertisements because... They're saying that it's the crazy ones that make things happen. And as we're in a world where everybody's trying to be the, so perfect, you know, and there's no such thing as perfect. And, you know, I, I, and to be the same, it's, you know, I just love when people are different and who are proud of being different and confident enough to be different, 
no matter what other people think of them, because they're the people who really change things. I mean, they're the real change makers. And I, I'm just, I can't help but being in total admiration for them. Did you recognise kind of, because there's different levels of craziness, isn't it? I, I'm, do, I'm doing this show on a daily basis. And there's sometimes I have a conversation with somebody who's achieved something. And I think, yeah, okay, I could have done that if I'd thought of it. it. It feels like something that's within me. And then there's other people that say things. And I think, I don't even know how your brain's working to actually get that going. It just doesn't seem to be my level of craziness. Do you recognise that? Because you're, you're spot on. It seems that the, the more crazy you are the more you dream big and then you dream bigger and ultimately nobody can stop you achieving that and it's it's like kind of mad genius i suppose yeah i think it's really interesting because i i come across people who have achieved extraordinary things and i just have no idea of the subject matter and i'm astounded at their talent and the way their brain works but that's not so you can have these extraordinary genius type people but it's the people who have the genius and the ideas and who are just relentless in the pursuit of that, that I love. Because there's plenty of people who have fantastic ideas, great thinking processes, super concepts, but they don't get off the ground. And it's the people who have all of that and are, who are crazy enough just to go out and try and find it. And if it works, fantastic. And if it doesn't, they will try again. I mean, that to me is just, that's magic. That is just magic. And um, I remember I did a, a big trip in 2002 uh, called Around the World in 80 Ways with uh, two crazy fabulous gentlemen. One is Miles Hilton Barber, who is completely blind. And the other is Mike McKenzie, who is paralyzed from just under his chest down and he's a double leg amputee. And we went around the world and using 80 modes of transport, three people with disabilities, to prove that you have to live your life to the fullest. And Miles used to talk about being a dangerous dreamer. And it's something that I, really hold to myself and if i feel that i'm just getting too soft on myself i remember this quote and it's my favorite quote it's all men dream equally and there are those of us who dream at night in the dusty recesses of our mind and wake in the day and think it was just pure fantasy but there are other of us who dream in our in the day with our eyes wide open and we are the dangerous dreamers and the reason i love that quote is because a dangerous dreamer is somebody who is dreaming and doing at exactly the same time. They're not daydreaming and wishing and hoping it was. So for me, the crazy, yeah, craziness is in a level of degree. And I think the dangerous dreamers are, they're the people I want to hang out with all the time. They're the people that I just love. And I definitely know that it's in my, it's in my character. I dream, but I hopefully try and do as much as I can with those dreams. I've got a big banner in, in my office that I record and it says dream big, dream bigger, and then dream bigger still. And I think that's, that's my methodology of life now which it never used to be i was a corporate guy i would go and do the corporate work but when you realize that there's another way of operating it's a one-way street isn't it you can't go back yeah that's i mean somebody was saying to me you know why did you choose to do what you do <laughs> you know this is, look i think it chose me that's the absolute that's the absolute truth you know i didn't sit here and think about could i do something it, it, it kind of came to me and it came to me on the back of that elephant and it came to me over time and it just won't let me go. Even if I wanted to walk away from it now, I couldn't and I, and I don't want to. I think, you know, there's a, there's a passion and a commitment for me for all time to, to hopefully deliver on the dream that I have. And that's only one of many dreams. But the other thing is I don't think people need to leave their job and 
go on elephants or become a social entrepreneur to dream big. You know, I, I don't I don't see it that way. You know, every single one of us has dreams of our own and you can do those. You can achieve those in different ways. But the biggest problem is if you don't have dreams. That's just awful. I mean, that you don't have things. You don't have to admit them to anybody. But if you don't have dreams, you know, when you're you're away on holidays and you're away from the craziness of life, you kind of have these kind of secret dreams of things that you love to do. And you never imagine that you could do them. And at least you have them because they're the things that make you completely you and, and make you fascinating and will help very subtly determine the path that you take in life, no matter what that path that is. It just, you know, you talk about children and childhood and that's where dreams begin. And I just think we should continue dreaming right until the day that we die, right until the day we die. It's the, one of the most, I, I don't know, it's just one of those, that lifeblood of who we really are as people. I, I agree with you and I, I want to get back into your history but this is fascinating as well because this is really sort of inspirational content for, for the listeners out there but I, I believe I'm a very open-minded guy and over the last few weeks I have interviewed a few people that aren't able-bodied and one of them was a lady called Jessica Cox and I don't know if you know Jessica but she was born with no arms at all and um, she in my head I was thinking how can she do this how can she do that and she made this video on her website where she with her feet she's brushing her teeth she's playing the piano she's using her um, mouse and she learned to fly an airplane and she can drive with just her feet and it made me realize that in many ways the disability was her finding her unique self her path and the people that have got quote-unquote a disability I don't like to use that word seem to be the ones that are more content with themselves and more ability to play to their strengths than the able-bodied people that are kind of lost somehow did you do you find that because it, it strikes me more and more when I speak to these people I think to myself no actually who who's disabled me by sitting here not doing everything I can possibly do or somebody like Jessica who's really not taking no for an answer and going for every single thing well you see I don't you see I don't see it as people with disabilities and people who don't have disabilities like I know we use the, the term and the language and, and 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 that's fair enough I think we're all people you know I think the seven point whatever billion of us on the planet I see Disability is simply difference, and difference is part of humanity. Um, and I think Jessica, to prove, she she absolutely proves in everything she does that she's just a person living to her best. And every one of us has that choice and chance um, to live to our best, with you whether you have a disability or not. What's different is the people around you who you. help you, you know, and help you believe that you can, because the greatest ingredient for success is having the expectation, having the desire, having the ambition. And what strikes me so much, particularly if somebody has a physical, visible disability, it's, you know, traditionally the people around those people have determined because they look at the thing about that person that doesn't work and they decide that that person can't do things. Whereas every single individual on this planet has potential of their own ability, value, a personality, you know, to contribute. The disability community has, age, you know, overachievers in it, as does any other community in the world. The disability community is part of the broader community of our humanity. And so what I think when you see Jessica is she just pushes the limits of who she is, not whether she's a disabled person or not. She's just 
pushing it because she wants to do these things. She wants to be, to have the life and she wants to fly a plane, go for it. And she's just not willing to take no for an answer. And there are so many other people who do not have a disability who live life like that as well. And we can't all be the same and we can't all have that, you know, maybe crazy ambition. But what we should do is, you know, you, we, it's so extraordinary. We have so much more potential in us than we realize. We really do. And it is nothing, you know, it's kind of like, why not use that potential, that hidden potential? Because it's such a waste if we don't. And we often find that potential when we're between a rock and a hard place. When we've been really, really pushed and stretched, we realize we're 100% more capable than we actually ever, ever gave ourselves credit for. Um, so I always think like hidden potential is like the lottery ticket you won when you died. Like, what a waste of time. Yeah, no, but, but the kind of point I was making is, and I, I, I totally am on the same sheet as you, but it was like, it, it's my mindset. I, I like to say that I'm very open, but in my head I was thinking, how can she do this? How can she do that? How, how's that possible? But then when you see the video, you realise that everything's possible and it's that individual deciding to do it. And that's what this show is about. It's saying to the people out there, it doesn't matter what your situation is, what your monetary situation is, if you want something hard enough and good enough then you can go for it and it may not be achieved overnight but ultimately you can make differences in your life and that is why your story is so powerful that's why jessica's story is so powerful that's why every single guest that's been on the show is so powerful because at the end of the day they've made the choice to go for something and they're living to their unique self they're playing to their strengths well you know one of the things that i think anybody listening to you is the idea that you left the corporate world to do what you do because you love it in other people's minds, that is completely impossible. And that is no different, by the way, to, you know, somebody, you know, like Jessica or I doing what we do. It's like you took that big step. You know, you took it. And to other people, that's like, I can't believe David would leave a really well-paid job to do this. Like, let's be honest. So you're absolutely right. The, the, the thing that's, you know, the thing that stops us getting what we want is our head, Okay. You know, we've got these brilliant gut instincts and then these crazy brains of ours get in the way and they tell us all the reasons why we can't do what we, we, what we really want. And I often have said this and uh, I really believe it. You know, the greatest disadvantage in life is the six inches between our ears and a bad attitude. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm. you know, if you, the greatest empowerment tool is when we shut down that brain of ours and actually give our gut and our will and our determination the best chance in the world and i don't think anybody you know we, we don't realize how much we stop ourselves by nearly talking ourselves out of it but your story is as you know it is as inspirational as anybody else because so many people would love to do what you do right they do i mean they'd love to do it they're kind of sitting there in their office going oh, i just love to do i'd love to be a singer i'd love to be a writer i'd love to set up a bakery but i can't and the fear is because well, no, I can't, like money fear or what will I lose and will I fail and all those things. But you did it too. And that's because you wanted it enough, because you dreamed of it enough. And because you just said, okay, I'm going to give this a go. And if I fail, I fail. So what? Well, let's play our motivational speech. And then I'm going to delve back in time because this is what the words of Jim Carrey. And I love this. So I start playing this on the show pretty much every single show. This is Jim Carrey. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job. And our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father. 
not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. Is that the message that we should be getting out to the world? I, I, I know this particular quote, and I, and I am a massive fan of that particular speech. I so agree with you. <laughs> Seriously, to fail at something that you never loved in the first place is just dreadful. But you might as well go off and fail at something that you really, really want more than anything. And I think I, I'm, fa I'm fascinated by failure, right? Because I have probably failed more dramatically than I would have achieved. And thankfully, my parents instilled that sort of not to be frightened of failing. But what they did in some ways, they would, they frightened me not to try. Do you know what I mean? Mm. The biggest, it, what, it, it was, particularly my dad is like, the worst thing that you can do is not try to be the best of yourself. So I think failing is part of that, you know, because, you know, life is painful. It's full of failures and disappointments. But we're so obsessed with, you know, I mean, what we will look like when we fail. And, but failure is just part of trying. And I'm an entrepreneur. And any entrepreneur out there will tell you, well, there's no point in you being an entrepreneur if you think you're not going to fail. And I love the fact that in America, particularly, the more you fail as an entrepreneur, the more credit you're given. Because it just shows how hard you're pushing. And I love that. And uh, for me, failure, though it's painful, because it is, it, don't, don't get me wrong, if you're willing to get over it and, and, and get on with it and not let it define you, it's actually the best lesson you're ever going to get because hopefully you're not going to do the same stupid thing twice. Oh, I, I agree with you. And I, I just call failure stepping stones towards success. I know people have used that phrase before, but I think it's absolutely true. Even my show, I look back on it and I can't believe where we are now compared to where we are, uh, where we were at the beginning. And have I made failures? Yeah, I'm sure I have. So somebody asked me this actually the other day and they said to me, you know, how many failures have you had? And I couldn't really answer because I don't see them as failures. I just see them as me doing the best I possibly could at that time with the knowledge that I had and later on I look back on them and go oh I could have done it so much better it's just because you've moved on a bit did you find that in what you're doing with Kanchi? yeah you know that's I I had that thing about doing the best that I could at the time with the information I had at the time yeah that sometimes takes the sting out of the failure and I have had some moments where no I can honestly say I've failed like just fabulously I have failed just I, had, I made the wrong decisions, did the wrong things. And, you know, the first instinct is to beat yourself up and like to hang your head and just go, oh, my God, I'm useless. And your confidence takes a knock and you think, what am I doing? What am I doing? Um, and then it's just to start remembering you're just trying. You're just trying. And particularly in the work that we're doing here, you know, trying to change a global mindset on disability and trying to create a movement around inclusive business, you know, it is really hard. It is really hard. And if it was so easy, somebody else would have done it before. And I have to remind myself of that when we don't get what we want, when a deal doesn't work out, when the funds don't come in, when somebody looks at me as if I've got 10 heads and tells me this isn't our game. You know, there are many disappointments along the way, but it's just, you know, it's to remember to pick yourself up and go, well, this is tough and therefore there's going to be failures along the way and it doesn't stop me it just makes me try and think about you know what way can i next skin this cat but you do need to recognize when you fail there is a moment of wounded and wounded hurting and you know sit with it for a while and then move on you know move on you gotta let it go 
So if, if we went right back in time, your, your mum and dad really gave you a gift, didn't they? When, when I was looking at your story, and I've done a lot of reading about you over the last week, but it seems to be the defining point that they didn't tell you that you had a, a condition with your eyesight and they didn't want to put those limitations on you. Has that really carried you through to where you are now? Do you sort of say, Mum and Dad, thank you so much, that was the best thing you ever did, or do you have an opposing view to that? Well, you see, I only live my life the way that I know it. You know, it's a funny thing. I'm asked it all the time, and I still can't come up with a decent answer. But what I do believe is I was Caroline. You know, I'm Caroline. I'm not... I wasn't defined at a young age for Caroline with the bad eyes. I was Caroline. And I, I really fundamentally believe that we're also obsessed in what we do and, and in the labels that are, are surround us. Um, but it's not about what you do that is who you are. You are who you are. I, mean, I could give you a list of things to describe what I do, and, but they're not me. And similarly with my sight, it's not me. It's part of me. And so by not making it the foremost thing in my life, I was allowed be myself. Um, I was allowed to grow into the person that I hope, that I think they hoped I would grow into without limitations of she's visually impaired or she has a disability. And I often come across the, the greatest achieving people with disabilities are parents very like my own, which is not putting a duvet around their child and overprotecting them, but really pushing them out there into the world because the world is hard. Um, and I think what they, they gifted me was resilience. And they gifted me, you know, you will have to survive. Regardless of what you do, you have to survive. And they gifted me resilience. And I hope, you know, in, encouraged tenacity and problem solving and, you know, courage. I think they're the things that they gave me. Whereas maybe if I had been labeled as a, you know, a disabled child or a visually impaired child, we could make excuses for me. Um, and I think that's maybe where they came from. And we have a very big belief in our family, you know, that labels are for jam jars and packages. They are not for people, you know, and they're so limiting, right? You know, whether we say somebody's a boy, a girl, a, a management consultant, gay, straight, disabled, you know, we can go on with all these labels all the time, but they're only aspects of ourselves. They don't define us. Nothing, not one part of ourselves should define us. It's just part of who we are. Yeah, but, but that's for the label, and I accept that. But I know people personally that have had children that they, from an early age, they have done things for them all the time. And they go, oh, no, we'll do that because it's not easy for you. And the, the, the kid has grown up just knowing that they can't do that. It's kind of ingrained into them that I will never be able to do that. And that's the thing that I think your parents gave you. They didn't seem to mollycoddle you. It was just, you know, you are who you are. Get on with it. And I've, I've worked... No, there was no molly coddling. Actually, when I used to fall or crash my head against a wall, you know, my dad's response used to be hilarious. It's like, well, like, get up. <laughs> you know, if you could, like, I remember them. I have countless stories, you know, of all the times that you that you failed because of your sight. Like, like, I mean, can you imagine going to school and not knowing that you had a vision problem? And you're there trying to play hockey, tennis, jump over hurdles. I mean, honestly, it was a disaster. Well, I can't imagine and that I, at all, though. I, no, I know. Uh, <laughs> were you the world's clumsiest girl? Did yeah. people go, oh, don't throw it to her. She's always going to drop it. <laughs> well, you were pretty much, you know, was I the world's clumsiest sports person? Yes, but I'm not actually a clumsy sports person. I just can't see what I'm doing. <laughs> um, you know, the thing is that I, I was the last person to be probably picked on a team because it was fairly useless, right? 
but it's you know I, I have I have a reason now to explain to myself as why I was so clumsy but yeah you're right I mean my parents there was no molly coddling going on there was none of that it was get up get out and get on with it do you know what I mean and that prepared me for life because you don't have it, it's you know, I understand so much when a parent, you know, has a child with a disability because they love them and they don't want their child to hurt or be in pain. They don't. And that's, you can't judge that. And, you, you know, I would, I can imagine that's the most natural thing in the world to do. But however, we're not children for always. And every one of us gets into life. And life ain't fun at times. And it's fabulous in other ways. But we can't, you can't protect yourself from life for always because it's just out there and it's full full of all those things so um i don't judge any parent for doing that but i do think our parents and actually many more many many more parents like our parents have um you know tough love and i don't think you have to have a disability to have tough love from parents and that's where you see a lot of people really you know striving and achieving well, I, I think I have soft, tough love. We, we, m- <laughs> me and my wife, we have different ways of doing it. If my kids are at home with me on a Saturday, they pretty much fend for themselves and they can make their own breakfast and they can do everything. And when they come home at the end, as long as they're alive, I think I've done my job. But my wife will kind of go, oh, she's only nine. She can't make a sandwich and all that kind of stuff. And it is, it's that kind of how do you balance it? How do you protect your kids but also give them enough strength and life lessons to be able to grow up? Because at the end of the day all you're doing as parents is getting to the point when you throw them out the nest and hopefully they can fly and away they go yeah you know the the balance is so important and and i want to be very clear that yes we had tough love but we had love as well um and there was never a moment where any of the three of us because i have a sister and a brother we really did feel loved and you know what it's an amazing thing mom and dad never told us to be what we were to be when we grew up we were given that freedom you know, whatever it was that we were going to choose to do, just do it the best that you can. And we were loved. You know, there was never, you never doubted being loved. Never, never doubted it. But what they, they I mean, my mom is just, she still remains the great mom. You know, when you walk in the, uh, the kitchen door, she has food on the table for you. Seriously. You know, the hug is always there. She's always there when you cry. And I remember when I finally came to terms with my vision, you know, a, a time in March of 2000. And I knew I had to come out of the closet about it. Do you know, the first person I wanted to go to was my mom. I just, I just wanted to be with my mom. She was the one person I wanted to just go and have a cry with and, and have her put her arms around me and give me one of those hugs, you know. So um, it, it, it's, a, it's a very fine balance, I can imagine. Um, but I think in our case, we, we probably were very lucky. I, I, I think that's true about mums because I, I, I read something back in like Vietnam and war scenarios when these soldiers unfortunately get, you know, really badly wounded. The person they cry out for is their mum, even though they're soldiers and they're protecting their country and they're in real rough and tumble. It, it's their mum that you've got that connection with. And I, I feel the same way with myself. If something and my wife, funnily enough, when I got married, my wife actually had to tell me off of this. When something big was happening in my life, I would tell my mum before I told her, and then <laughs> she would phone, and my mum already knew about it. And she said, "Look, we're married now. It should go the opposite way round." And yeah, all right, fair enough. And I sort of raised my hand and said, "You know, slap it." And um, I've learned from that lesson. But yeah, it, the mum connection—it's—it's it's always going to be there, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, I think there's there's a really strong. Uh, expression here irish mothers and their sons <laughs> so, mm. i don't know if that's the same in the uk but there is something very much between a, a a son and a mom 
Um, and yeah, I don't know, it's family, you know, at the end of the day, family is so important. And I need my dad for, you know, a myriad of different reasons. He was an entrepreneur. I certainly have my entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit from him. He was the one who taught me about business. He was the one that pushed me probably harder than anybody else. He's the one that I go to for advice from, from business. He's the one that kind of tells me, you know, do A, B and C or what do you think about this? And then on the other side, my mom was the one who, you know, we used to dance around the kitchen. Like I grew up with, you know, music and I always remember her just, you know, dancing with us around the kitchen. And when my marriage broke up uh, a few years ago and it was a really dark time of my life, you know, really very, very hard period to go through because these are things you don't want to go through. But, you know, one of the things I reverted back to was dancing around the kitchen and singing in into a wooden spoon to, you know, to give you that kind of sense of possibility before you went off to work. Mm. Um, and that came from my mom. And she, you know, she always taught us how to make the most out of nothing because we didn't have a lot of money when, when I was growing up. And so she was like, well, always make something look good, you know. So, you know, even if we, she was always great for having candles because candles made a room look better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or setting a table with something colorful. So it's just, she had that great, you know, joie de vivre and, and that great creativity. So they're both very important influences in my life. Absolutely, and so they should be. And that phrase you said about when you came out of the closet and you <laughs> ran to your mum, yeah. your mum was in the closet with you anyway, wasn't she? Because she, she kind of knew what was going on and she'd known it all the way. They, they must have known it was going to come to a point when that was going to happen. So she was there with you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I found out at 17, first off, because um, they had given me a driving lesson for my 17th birthday, which is extraordinary when you think about it. And uh, obviously, I found out that I wasn't going to be driving and probably shouldn't have been cycling, let alone going on rollerblades around the place. Do you know, I don't know whether so, I should laugh at that present. I, I, I feel like I should laugh, but it's, it feels rude to do it as well. Oh, no, no, please don't. It's, there's nothing. I mean, it's my life. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It is quite funny. So, you know, the, 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 first, the first moment of really understanding that was at 17. And then, you know, I had no intention, as, as you said in your introduction, of, you know, accepting that. Um, so they, they, you know, they had, they were kind of standing in the sidelines, just watching me and I guess ready to pick me up when I was going to fall. And that fall happened at 28. Um, and I remember so distinctly that day because I had been to an eye specialist and I, you know, and he had told me, you know, he hadn't even examined my eyes. He was just like, what is it with you and your stubbornness to accept your vision impairment you know you have to take responsibility for this and I always remember him saying to me you know are you happy like is this what you wanted to be when you were little and like, I'm sitting in an eye specialist office and going is this therapy or what is this you know and I'm feeling you know when you feel the, the crying coming up from inside your belly mm. and just going oh, this isn't what I wants to be this is not who I want to be because I was scared at that time, you know, I was scared and, and I felt lonely, though I have loads of friends around me, don't, don't get me wrong, I just was lonely in my, in my own thinking. And just, you know, and he said, I just think you need to think about doing something different with your life. And I'm like, what do you mean do something different with my life? I am successful, this is my life. And just running home to mom and just breaking down, crying in front of her, going, mom, mom, like, what is this? Who am I? Like, why are my eyes so important, you know? And I kept saying to her, it's like, mom, I know there's something more I can do in life. I know it. I can feel it inside me. I feel I have something else to do. And I always remember her just tucking my hair behind my ear. Um, 
as I'm looking at her crying away and she goes, I know you can do more. I know you can do more. And it was that day after I had left her when I went for a run was the day that actually was one of those big days that changed my life. So, yeah, she was part of that day. I, I actually, I'll be honest with you, Caroline, I actually felt choked up when you said that because it's that's such a small little gesture, isn't it? Just brushing yeah. your hair, but there's, there's yeah. a calm, there's a comfort, and she told you exactly what you wanted to hear and you should have heard at that moment. She did. She provided another gift for you. I mean, but she, it was, she believed it. Um, and one of the things about our family, um, as, and I also think because we're visually impaired, we have a very, very strong intuition and gut instinct. So I would have known if she was lying. And I, but I felt it in myself, David. I can't explain to you. I really, really felt something was coming. And I really felt I had to do something. And I think her just looking back at me, you know, as, as now, because we're both adults at that stage, you know, I was 28 and she was, you know, 25 years older than me. She was, I know, I believe you. And, and it, basically she gave me permission to go find it. And I, I always think that was a, just a really important moment in my life because it could, it could have been very different. It could have been a very different moment. Is that the kind of mad genius that we were talking about at the very beginning of the show? Because I know that feeling. I know exactly what you're saying. And when I left my corporate job for probably about six months beforehand, I just felt this, there's got to be more than this. There's, there's something I should be doing with my life. And now I'm doing this, I feel it every day that, yes, this is where it is at the moment, but God, where's this going to go? This is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I just feel it. It's like a sort of geezer inside me that <laughs> is just going to explode. And do you think that is when these people do these kind of mad things, these maverick things, magnificent mavericks, and they go off and they achieve stuff that you kind of go, how the hell did that happen? Do you think that's exactly how they feel as well? Yeah, you know, it's, look, you can hear it in your voice. You can hear... You can hear your passion. You can hear that you are content, that you're excited. And that's because you're doing what you're supposed to do. Um, and I guess you, like me, like anybody else who's taken a massive life-changing step or just done something that you really wanted to do, I think the precursor to making that decision is an ache. It's like an ache. I, I, like, if I, I don't know how to give you the right words, but... I could just feel inside me this sense of I just want to be more. I just want to do more. I, I, I know that I'm, I'm capable of it. I don't know how. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I just knew that there was something that was so restlessly inside me just kind of bursting out. I mean, I used to describe it as a, a hole in the heart. I used to feel I don't actually have a hole in my heart. But I used to feel this emptiness right inside inside my chest cavity and it was painful and you know the really weird thing is I remember when I decided you know that day that I had I had cried with mum that I would make that big decision to do something different that the doctor told me to do and become Mowgli from the Jungle Book and go across ending the elephant you know what within 24 hours that hole in my heart had gone and it had been with me now for maybe 18 months prior to that day and that hole has never come back it's like, I don't, it's like there was a yearning. And then when I made the decision, the yearning stopped. Well, when, when you stopped. were Mowgli, did you wear like a red nappy and be, <laughs> be, be naked? Did you go the full Hulk, Caroline? No, I mean, look, the thing is, so I made this decision in March of 
you know, 2000 on a wet Wednesday, you know, after having a cry fest with my mom and then running along a beach and going, I'm not going to let, I just, I want my life to be better. And I thought when, well, let's do something different. And how I decided I would manifest as Mowgli from the Jungle Book was to go across India on the back of an elephant and train as an elephant handler and do it on my own. Um, and so it took now, I mean, that's a pretty big life change from a management consultant to an elephant handler. So it took nine months to set up. And um, I found myself in January of 2001 on the 13th of January, um, head to head or forehead to forehead with this little elephant called Kanchi. And, you know, it's the most extraordinary thing. This is my story. I, like, I, this is not a film. I did this. I still am amazed. <laughs> this is my story and only the beginning of a myriad of stories afterwards but when I went there I had no understanding that a female trying to do what I was trying to do and a, and a, a female a western female who has incredibly fair skin and very blonde hair sitting on top of you know the physical embodiment of Ganesh this Hindu god which is the elephant you know, how extraordinary the Indians would think this was. Um, and I, I did, a, I learned to ride bareback. There was no howdah, there was no luxury. I slept, you know, night in, night out beside the elephant on top of a van amongst snakes and monkeys. I had a bucket to, to wash in. But the one thing is I had to be covered up because, you know, it would, it's totally inappropriate and certainly was then for any woman to, you know, be showing lots of skin and particularly on an elephant. So I was dressed in what they, in pajamas, literally, <laughs> which was good because it covered my skin. And uh, I was probably the most unattractive, unattractive looking Mowgli that you could ever imagine sitting on top of that elephant. And I went pink as the way, because it was 44 degrees most of the time and incredible humidity. So it sounds yeah, terrible, I to I be honest. It wasn't. It was, you know, it was, oh gosh, it, I can't explain to you. It was most, it was the most amazing thing. I just imagine sitting but, on an elephant must be painful for a thousand miles. It, it, you know, no, it, it wasn't painful. No, 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 it wasn't painful. It was, it was extraordinary. I mean, look, I guess this was my passion. Not everybody has a dream to do this. It was my dream, so I guess I, I wanted every part of it. Um, I tell you what was, I mean, the heat was hard. Um, you know, the fascination of everybody around me. I had very little privacy on the trip. I realized on the trip that my eyes were the least of my problems. And that's really when I got over myself on the eye thing is because my eyes actually had afforded me opportunity to get there and achieve the dream. But most importantly, the thing that was against me out there was I didn't speak the same language as the, the six Indian men who worked with me. And I owe a huge amount to a man called Neeraj Bhatania who ran the trip with me. But we didn't speak the same language. Um, I was a woman. They were all men. Um, and I had this very, very fair skin in the sun. So like my eyes were of no concern. I mean, it was just a most, but it was just this amazing, it was just an amazing adventure. And I often dream um, in quiet times of the day of, can you imagine seeing India on the back of an elephant when you just, when you're sitting there on the top of this extraordinary, beautiful creature and, you know, you see the top of their head and their trunk comes up to touch you every now and again. I mean, that's just pure magic. It's just magic. <laughs> It, it is, but I, I think I'd like to be in a car with the air conditioning on, <laughs> with, with maybe Radio Two playing as I'm driving through India. That that would that would be utopia for me. Yeah, well, you see, I guess we all have that's that's what's great about being human. We don't all want the same thing, right? Um, and and that's fantastic. But mine was this, and 
you know, it's it remains, and I still have a million adventures inside me, and I did adventures after it. Like, I probably, if you were to give me a choice right now, you know, I'd love to hop off into a desert and, you know, skedad- skedaddle off on a horse like a cowboy and a cow Indian. The more dust, the more muck, the more mess I'm happier in. I mean, people who know me, like, I look like a cowgirl. I look like a cowgirl even going into meetings. I just think there's an inner cowgirl in there or an inner adventurer. Um, yeah, I just, I love... Well, I was an archaeologist as well, so, you know, I like hanging out. You're like outside. Indiana Jones, aren't you? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, choosing to do archaeology as a visually impaired person was probably one of the most stupidest decisions <laughs> I ever made, but I did love it. <laughs> Another, you say lots of phrases. When you're talking with such passion and enthusiasm, there's certain phrases that really jump out on me. And the, the one there was, you had to get over yourself. You had to actually... <laughs> Because that, that, that scene, that struck me once again as slightly strange that you'd got to the point that you were on an elephant going through India, which you would have thought by that time you've got over yourself. And then you were still finding parts of your character that kind of almost needed to be thrown away to move on to the next stage. It's, it's fascinating how this can happen, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm finding every month, every year, so many things you learn about yourself, things that you don't want to know about yourself. There's certain things about my character I just really wish I didn't have. Um, and like like what then, Caroline? Well, what, what's something that oh, you, you still think listen. to yourself, I'm oh. work in progress? <laughs> David, I'm going to be work in progress until I, I finish, you know? I am deeply impatient. I'm a really, really impatient person. And I can't bear that about myself. Um, the other thing that I, I'm finding that really annoys me about myself is I've this amazing gut instinct, right? I've amazing gut instinct, and I've made some really big mistakes over the last seven years. And I don't blame other people for them. They're mine. You know, I'm not going to be a victim to other to situations. The mistakes that have happened in my life are, are down to me. And the thing is, I knew the answer for all of those decisions. They were in my gut. But I let other people talk me out of my gut instinct, or I doubted myself because I was trying to please people or make them happy. And I'm just like, Caroline Casey, like, when do you ever learn that, you know, your greatest gift is in your gut, you know? Um, I can get, the other thing that I, I think is really d- difficult about me, I speak very quickly, I interrupt people a lot, I hate that part of my personality. I try to do too much. Um, I can become unfocused very quickly. Um, I'm very hard on myself, and that's not a good thing. Being hard on yourself puts you in stupid situations. It doesn't allow you to um, take credit or at least enjoy the good stuff, you know, because you're rushing on to the next stuff and you're trying to do everything. And um, Yeah, I, I don't think that's a good part of myself. I sometimes think I also live in my head too much. As I was saying earlier on, I analyze things too much rather than feel them. I'm always trying to think through a solution, whereas you're never going to think a solution. You're going to feel a solution. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I could go on. I have plenty of things that are not great about me. Yeah, but they all Um, make you you, don't they? They do. And, you know, one of the the greatest gifts I think we can give ourselves as we go through life is to be as self-aware as possible Um, and not frightened of the things that aren't good about us. and I, 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 have a, I have a habit, because I'm a very emotional person. You know, you talked about this, about Maverick, about conforming. People try to make you conform. When somebody says you're emotional, you know, I don't think they say that in a good way. 
they're going to, oh, you're very emotional, Caroline. And I'm like, yeah, I am emotional, but I, I'm really glad in ways I am emotional because that's passion. That's passion to make things happen. And I hope it's that passion that has maybe been part of making good things happen. But I doubt myself very quickly. And as I was saying to you early on, you know, when you choose to do something like this, do not think that I am, you know, Miss Pollyanna, jazz hands, fabulous, positive all the time. I'm not. You know, life is not easy. And, you know, I've just had to work around how to handle the tough bits. There's times of profound sadness I have gone through in the last while or deep, deep sort of self-doubt, real deep self-doubt. And, um, you know, I just I have to find those survival tools or mechanisms and really not hold on to the negativity because there's a lot of negativity around and you just have to find ways of getting around it and, and moving on and being okay with that. Because, um, yeah, I, they're all part of me uh, and I, I hopefully have really good parts of me um, because I was saying I'm not, I'm not a management consultant or an, a social entrepreneur or a, a, an archaeologist. What I am is Caroline, and, which is a sum of all my good bits and my bad bits and all my dreams and aspirations and all my successes and failures and the fact that I, you know, love doing snow angels. You know, I mean, that's who I am. It's not what I do. Who doesn't love doing snow angels? <laughs> you, you can't beat a snow angel, can you? No. Or a sand angel. And if you can't find sand or snow, go and do the grass. And I swear to God, I only did that about three or four weeks ago. I just went out into the park and just did a bit of a grass angel as I was trying to think of a solution for something. And I was looking at the blue sky. And I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I've created a life where I can go out and just do a grass angel and not really care what anybody thinks of me. It's pretty good. And that, that's what life is all about. <laughs> I'm going to play the words of Steve Jobs, which is the theme of the show. But he quite eloquently said back in 2005 that we are the sum of all our parts and no experience is wasted. And it's how we, we actually meander through life that actually gets us to where we want to be. This is Steve Jobs. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college. But it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And that will make all the difference. So you said that you trust your gut, and when you haven't trusted your gut, you've gone badly wrong. It's interesting that somebody like Steve Jobs actually says those same words as well, because we've all got a gut, we've all got that kind of compass inside us that can direct us to where we should go, but for most of us, we, we ignore it. Yeah, I, you know, he says it better than anybody. I think that is just a really profound way of saying it and far more articulate way than I would have said it. You know, following your heart is, can lead you to extraordinary places. And, um, and that is your gut, your heart and your gut and your instinct, because our wisdom of who we really are, we have all the answers for who we are and what we're going to be it's already inside us. We already know. And as I said earlier on, it's when our brain and the analyzing and the doubting and the voice inside our heads keeps telling us, but you can't. Because you can't, because you can't, because you can't, because you have a good job. You can't because, well, I'm in the marriage and I can't get out. You can't because I've got children. You can't because, you know, I, I can't see. And we will, our brains will give us a million reasons why we can't do things. But your heart and your gut and your 
faith and your destiny and your instinct, it already has the answers. And yes, I, I fully stand up and say the greatest mistakes in my life were when I didn't listen to my heart and my gut. And I, I have to continue to really challenge myself when my gut says one thing and my head says another. And the, the thing to know is you will only really hear your gut or your heart when you're not running around madly uh, trying to fix things or run away from things. You know, it's when, you're, when you give yourself the time to be a little bit still every now and again, you, you know, you hear what it is that you really should do, want to do, what your heart's yearning for. And that's not just me. It's we all have it. Every single one of us has that inside us. The amount of people that I have spoken to who have said that the biggest game changer that they had was when they gave themselves maybe half hour, an hour each day just to sit there thinking. And when they thought of everything that was going in their life and something scared them, that was the thing that they realized they had to do. But they only managed to get that, that fear compass going when they actually sat there and let everything disappear around them. Uh, well, I love that. <laughs> So I, I, look, I, everybody keeps telling me I should learn how to meditate and do yoga, you know, and I'm terrified of doing meditation because I can't seem to shut my brain down. But my version of meditation, by the way, I am starting meditation, but my version of it is running. Um, I run and running is I get into a very sort of, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like a meditative stage, particularly when I'm fit. OK, so when I'm fit. I'm just running and I, I'm just letting things be. And it's oh, my God, the things that come through my mind when I'm running. Um, it's it's like it's like seeing a whole lot of pictures in front of me because it's my it's my time, and now I run with a sighted guide. Um, obviously, so the great news is sometimes I talk to my sighted guide, sometimes I don't. <clears throat> but it's a great I just love it. But the one thing I've been thinking about recently a lot is this very simple question: What would you do if you're not scared? Like, what would you? What would you do if you really did not have to worry about the consequences? What would you do if you weren't scared? And the more I ask myself that question, the more I can see the picture of where I'd like us to go in the next 20 years. When I'm not, being, I'm not worried about what people think and I'm not worried about investors and I'm not worried about screwing up and I'm not worried about money. You know, that's a really good question for all of us to ask of ourselves every now and again. If I wasn't scared, what would I do? And you'd be really surprised the answer. I'm terrified every day. And I, I, I share that message with all the listeners out there because I don't want them to just hear me as kind of uber confident podcast man. But um, I, I am every single day. I'm terrified. And I was terrified of getting it going. I was terrified of the success it is suddenly um, building up. I was terrified. I, I just seem to be terrified on different levels. But now I just kind of... I'm, I'm embracing that fear somehow and it's not scary and you go past it and you look over your shoulder and you actually go actually that wasn't that scary it was it's scary coming up to it but once you're actually in it it's all right isn't it but i think you're absolutely right if you weren't if you weren't frightened if you weren't feeling scared i mean that fear drives you a bit doesn't it, it that, that 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 being scared kind of drives you to get over it you know you're you push yourself a bit harder you know, one of the things that's way worse than fear, like way worse than fear or failure or anything is apathy. Like, honestly, if I could give the greatest human crime is apathy. So give me fear any day. Help me be terrified any day. I would rather feel something than not feel anything. Apathy is just, oh, 
No, horrible. You know, I often think if I, if I could be king for a day, you know, I, I could go into the schools and, uh, you know, just say, you know, fabulous failure or dangerous dreamer, just so that you could get, you know, that next generation just to be brave and to feel and not to to be concerned with what's coming, but the, to be apathetic? No. I think that's awful. Awful. I love your brain, Caroline. I, I love the things that you think about. You, you could be king for a day. This is like, this is big faults, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, I, because I do like, I do think if I could be, you know, I am I'm so fascinated by, you know, somebody was asking, they, I was called a disability advocate recently and I think it's really weird. I don't see that myself. I'm an activist for disability or a, purely an advocate for it. I am for inclusive business because I believe inclusive business will create inclusive societies. It's what our work does. We're going around the world doing that. But you know what I really feel that I am an advocate for? It's just to create a world where every single one of us is included and belong and can be the person they want to be, you know, to determine the life they want to be, where their individuality is fantastic, where it is celebrated, when we're not all being corralled into the same type of stereotypes. There is not one there's not one version of success. There's not one version to lead their life. I just would love if the world could be tolerant, and not even just tolerant, but just totally embracing of the individuality that exists and not be frightened of difference, but really look at us as just one of the most extraordinary advantages of humanity. Difference is just, this is where the innovation comes from. So yeah, I guess if I was king for a day, I think that's what I'd wave the magic wand for. But for me, it's like, I'd love to see, I'd love us to teach in school for kids is to dream big as you say is to to be dangerous in our thinking to not be frightened of failure and those things because that's what builds that sort of tolerance and open-mindedness and the other thing is if if you could give every single kid at 18 a ticket around the world oh like seriously that would be fantastic it would be fantastic travel opens your mind seeing different things tasting different things being challenged being lost you know I tell you what, that, that adds that adds so much so many layers to your, your life experience. Well, we are kindred spirits, I tell you. And if, if you do become king, can I be your queen? Is that all right? <laughs> yes, you can indeed. There's not a hope that's gonna happen, but no problem. I, I I'd look good in a dress just for a day. I think I could pull that off, that'd be fine. Well, this is the end of the show, and I don't really want it to end, but this is the part when we send you back in time to have a one on one with your younger self. And if I could send you back to have a one on one with the younger Caroline, what age would you choose and what advice would you give her? Well we're gonna find out because I'm gonna play the tune and when it fades, you're up. This is the sermon on the mic. With the best bit of the show The sermon on the mic The sermon on the mic Hello 15 year old Caroline This is 42 year old Caroline speaking to you And you have absolutely no idea The journey that you're about to go on and I know right now you are so scared because you don't fit in. And I know that you can't understand why it doesn't feel right. And I know that you're confused. And like you think you're the only one that doesn't know what it is that they're going to do. But you have no idea. The journey that lies ahead of you is going to be so much more extraordinarily different than you ever imagined. And what you're going to find out in your journey through life 
that the things that you thought were your greatest failures, your greatest weaknesses, the things that scared you most, are your greatest, greatest opportunity. And I want you to think about something, little Caroline. Right now, when you're 15 years old, I want you to put on that dress that though is different to the one everybody else is wearing, I want you to put it on, put your shoulders back, and know that it's okay to be different and to be you. I want you to kiss far many more boys than you ever kiss. I want you to stop pleasing the world and try and please yourself. I want you to do more than you ever hoped and imagined. And I don't want you to think you're the only one that's scared because everybody around you is just as scared. But mostly, I want you to continue that extraordinary dream that's inside you because the dreams that you had when you were little, they will come true. And just don't allow anybody tell you otherwise. Caroline, how can our audience connect with you? Uh, well, the best way to connect with me is you can get me um, through my email, for, through our website, www.canty.org. I'm on Twitter, which is at Caroline underscore Canty. Uh, I have Facebook with Caroline. And uh, I think that's the best way, probably the best way to get me. We will have all the links on the show notes. Caroline, thank you so much for spending time with us today, joining up those dots. And please come back again when you have more dots to join up. Because I do believe that by joining up those dots and connecting our pasts is the best way to build our futures. Caroline Casey, thank you so much. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put... Thanks for listening to today's episode of Join Up Dots, brought to you exclusively by podcastersmastery.com, the only resource that shows you how to create a show, build an income, and still have time for the life that you love. Check out podcastersmastery.com now. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that every successful entrepreneur practices, including the two that changed his life. Head over to joinupdots.com to download this amazing guide for free, and we'll see you tomorrow on Join Up Dots.